Welcome to the Path and Focus podcast, where we record ourselves building a wildfire technology company. I'm your host, Kayleen McCullough, a former wildland firefighter turned software developer. And I'm Jonathan Bowers, a software developer turned entrepreneur, now um, someone who is very curious about air quality issues. <laughs> I bought a sensor and put it in at the office and was very surprised. <laughs> Actually, I put it in our house. We were really surprised at the results of putting that sensor in our house. It was very high. I think when we got it, the outside was around 250 or something, 250 on the AQI. We set the sensor up and it was 150 inside our house. And I was just shocked that it would be that high. Um, so we turned the fan on and air circulated through and brought it down to about the 50s or so over not that long, maybe a couple of hours. Um and then the air conditioning turned on because it, it also started to get warm. And that actually brought it down even further. So now I just know that on smoky days, crank that fan up and let it let it run because it's just going to keep me breathing not terrible air. Yeah, that's very fair. <laughs> um, so we haven't we haven't launched Beacon. We've we finished a good portion of the development of Beacon and have released it to a few folks. And have gotten some initial feedback on it. So I thought it would be kind of cool to discuss some of the feedback that we got. Yeah. Um, I actually haven't had an opportunity to read through any of it. So it's a great opportunity for you to catch me up on on what the feedback is. Yeah. Okay. Great. So we got some good initial feedback. I showed it to someone who is an arborist. Um, first of all, they really liked it. They thought it was really easy. But I noticed a couple of things that I thought was a little bit interesting. So I've already discovered there's a bit of a, an interface glitch. Like it presents all of the fire centers in a collapsed form. So for example, like the Kamloops Fire Center, it has dozens of weather stations inside of it. So we collapse all of them into a single like item that says Kamloops Fire Center. And you tap on it and then it expands. But when it expands, it kind of expands in a funny way. Um but what I noticed was when the person was was using it, they thought that we didn't have all the weather stations. They thought that because they saw a Southeast Fire Center that we only had, you know, the Afton to like the A's to the C's. And so he thought we just hadn't added them all. So he's like, oh, no, I get that you haven't added it. So I had to explain to him that that it's a bug and he, he could scroll past. So that was that was a funny one. Interesting. I never noticed that when I was testing it out online. He said it was just a bug on mobile browsers. Hey. Yeah, it doesn't happen on the on the web. If you open it up in the browser on the desktop, it doesn't do it. It's only a bug, at least as far as I know, on iOS. I haven't tried on my iPad, but... Honestly, I think that page is something that has a lot of improvements that can be made regardless of that bug. Yeah, I think he was interpreting the table incorrectly too. So we pulled up a station that we looked at. And when we were looking at it, it was Saturday. So on Saturday, the danger rating was a 4 the previous two days were a three, and then the day before that was a two. So it, it was funny because his quick interpretation in his head was that the restriction that he should be looking at would be for the two, which is no restriction. But that was three days ago. But that was three days ago because it hadn't been three consecutive days of four. It was only one day of four. And so I thought, oh, shoot, we, we've got it wrong. Um, and so we pulled up the table and we both looked at it and I said, no, I don't think that's right. And he looked at it again. He's like, oh yeah, no, no, you're, you're right. Like that's, that's, that is correct. That's the way it should be done. Now, I was wrong. So he, he was saying he was wrong, but in his head, 
he he did some calculation in his head that was that was incorrect because i mean the table is not that big like it's only five rows long um you could you could almost memorize it and he's worked with you know worked with it for a number of years that he probably does have it at least somewhat internalized but even still he just like kind of struggled to f- figure out what the restriction was that's so cool to see the like value of what we've done happen real time yeah yeah it was it was really neat just for reference the the table that we're talking about comes from the wildfire act i believe um and it's a table that just the restrictions that are placed on high-risk activity. So if you're out cutting trees down with a chainsaw, um, you need to understand what the danger rating is for your region uh, and specifically for the weather station that represents where you're going to be working and then uh, what what restrictions, if any, there are in place on your on your work. So do you have to maintain a fire watcher for two hours after you're done? That's uh, required if the danger rating is at a four. Mm-hmm. If anyone's interested in finding it and looking at it themselves, I think if you search BC wildfire high risk activities, uh, you should come up with a gov.bc.ca web page that it's titled high risk activities. And it's basically the implementation of what we've built. Um, but at the bottom in step three, there's a table there. And that's what we're talking about. Yeah. And then the other thing that I think is really key about it is there's a buildup that happens on the restrictions. Um, so when the danger rating is a four, there's actually two restrictions that can happen. As soon as it gets to a four, you need to maintain a fire watcher after work for a minimum of two hours. But after three days of four, there's an elevated restriction, which is that you have to stop work after 1 p.m. And so in our app, we only display the stop work after 1 p.m. But we also have to maintain a fire watcher after 1 p.m. Um, so that's a small thing that that I think we need to adjust. Does it say specifically in the table that that first restriction that you hit needs to also be maintained when you elevate to the secondary restriction? It doesn't say that in the table. That's an interpretation. That was that was his his interpretation of it was that like he said he said he looked at it he says no no you need to display it's not just stop at one it's also that you have to maintain a fire watcher so that's not how we had interpreted it but when I go back and look at it I think it probably makes sense super interesting yeah I mean that's the thing about this table there's so many ways to interpret it yeah but the confusing part to me is what to do after that duration condition has been met. So for example, if you hit danger rating five extreme, um, you have to stop work at one and maintain a fire watch for two hours. And then it says that condition is held until the fire danger class falls below a four for two or more consecutive days. So if it falls to a two for two days, does that mean we go back to no restrictions whatsoever? Or does it mean we now fall back to the next restriction, which is, it's just, it's complicated and confusing. It's super complicated. And Ave and I talked through this in circles for quite a long time because the table is set up in a way that it talks about the upward trajectory, but it does not add a lot of clarity to the downwards trajectory. And so our interpretation was after the condition was met, then you go back to the current day and reevaluate from that stance. So in your example, you would have been at a two. So now you go back to the table and look at the two and move forward from there. Um, whether or not that's the right way of doing it, we don't actually know for certain. 
that's how I, I think how I interpret it. And so after looking at this and sort of being a little, just a little bit confused based on the feedback and just spotting a couple bugs, I went and made a state flow diagram. <laughs> it's a complicated mess. Like it is, it's just arrows going everywhere. And so essentially I'm describing a finite state machine, which is a computer term for a thing that describes how you move from state to state. So you can be in a state of like no restriction, right? Just it's one it's been ones or twos for the past week. Um, there's no work restrictions in place. Um, but as soon as you start adding some of these higher danger classes, then it starts to move you through these states. It's super complicated. But I think you've done a very good job of showcasing the complexity of it. Yeah, it's super complex. And I have a bunch of questions. Like, I uh, like I just don't know what to do. Like you said, on the – what was the word you used as it's coming off, coming down? I've been calling it like the cool down period. <laughs> yeah, that – Makes sense. Um, but yeah, this diagram does probably need a little bit more explaining. So on that point, where do we seek answers to our questions that we have about it? The, the BC government website lists like all the contact information for everyone. Um, so I was kind of cruising through that and looking for job titles of who I would ask. And I'm not, I'm not totally sure. Um, I mean, I also don't want to waste anyone's time because we're not someone that's faced with those restrictions. But I also don't want to ask someone to ask for us, so I, I'm not. I'm not sure. I think I think someone in the government needs to like help us understand what the table is supposed to do and how you're supposed to interpret the table. I also thought about asking a lawyer, but that seems like a really expensive way. Why a lawyer? I don't know, because it comes from legislation, right? Like the Fire Wildfire Act is legislation, and so I don't know. I thought a lawyer might be able to interpret it, but yeah, it's an interesting thought. I feel like the clarity we're seeking is. More around um, understanding the fire behavior and outcomes of this legislation as opposed to the actual black or white interpretation of the text. Because I think they kind of get at different things a little bit. I agree. But ultimately, it is the text that matters. If liability were to come into question, then I think it's it's how is this legislation written? And what is your defensible position? Um, I do think that someone inside of BC Wildfire Services could help us answer this probably pretty quickly. Uh, so I might just reach out. So I also wanted to talk about, um, in a previous episode, we talked about how hard it feels like this, this application is to validate because it's so reliant on what's happening today. Like you need to show what's happening today. And it just feels like it's not easy to get feedback on something that is very theoretical and it doesn't apply to today's knowledge at all and to today's conditions, today's weather and work restrictions. But I do think that it's not impossible to validate. And I think we've actually done a pretty good job of trying to validate this before getting to the place where we are now, where we've got a product that, that functions. And so I thought it might be helpful to just talk about some of the steps that we took before getting to actually building anything. Um, into the place where we are now, where we have something that works and we can we can get feedback from people. What were the steps we took to validate this? <laughs> well, I kind of forget, actually. <laughs> I don't even remember how the idea of this whole thing came up in the first place, but I know it was because we were having conversations with folks. I'm pretty sure the idea came from William, actually. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, because he he's an arborist. Um, and he said that this thing is just kind of a pain to try and figure out. So we thought, yeah, this this isn't going to be hard for us to do. And it kind of uh, builds upon the technology that we want to build anyway. So we'll try and do it. But we didn't want to go out and just build something and then 
get feedback. So we did talk with folks and we tried to understand how hard it is to go and to go and look this stuff up. And they said, yeah, it's just a pain in the butt. Yeah, we also shared it with people within the ministry to ask about the process. And they shared some feedback from their contacts that actually some other bigger companies had created a version of this for their internal use, which validates to us that it's useful to at least some folks. Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to go through the effort of making an app that does this, um, it's probably a pretty painful thing. You're taking some steps to try and solve this problem for yourself. So I think that's good validation. We also did go and basically try to do this ourselves. So rather than just relying on other people saying, yeah, it's hard, um, you went off and tried to get access to this information. Yeah, it's super funny because the way that that webpage that we referenced earlier lays out the steps, it tells you that you need a BCEID and you need to ask for permissions to the weather data for that weather station to figure out what the fire danger class is for that area. But um, there is a public site that you don't need a BCEID for that gives you that information. It doesn't give you the weather data, but it gives you at least the fire danger class. So <laughs> I went through this whole rigmarole of trying to get access to that webpage that it tells you you need access to. And then afterwards, I was like, well, I don't need this. <laughs> like there's a way easier way of getting the information that we need. I mean, you still have to go through that table and understand it and figure out what it's saying. So it's not totally simple, but it's definitely easier than they make it out to be on that website. It was very strange. Yeah. All of that is to say that the way people think they need to access it, whether there's another way or not, the way they expect to do it is very complicated and quite painful. Um, and you tried that and you verified that, yep, <laughs> this sucks. Yep. <laughs> one, it was hard to get access to it in the first place. Um, but once you've done that, that's like a one-time step thing. Yeah, but then you need to access it on Internet Explorer. Yeah, it's goofy. Anyway, so we've tried to make that like way easier. Uh, one of the other things that we did was we spent a bunch of time building some designs and some mockups, and we showed those to people before we went and built the actual software and got some feedback on that and you know, got some mm -hmm. feedback about how people want to look at lists and, and how they want to consume that data. We're trying to be really deliberate about uh, how we design this thing because we do think it's something that that can be designed better. And that's been that's been pretty helpful, although I would say probably not as helpful as just understanding the pain that people have, which is, what do I got to do today? What's my work restriction today? And how long is this going to last? Because mm -hmm. like, that's, that's the big pain. Um, when, when we show them, you know, cute diagrams of weather and stuff, they're like, yeah, okay, whatever. Uh, can I work today or not? I even think we possibly could have validated this by building even less. Now that we now that we understand what it does, I kind of think we could have gotten away with just emailing people. <laughs> like, tell us the weather stations that you want, and we'll just email you the work restriction that day, as soon as it's available. But uh, ultimately, we wanted to build something, which is all good. Like, it's all helpful for the learning. Totally. Lots of valuable learning on this particular app. Yeah. So I'm hoping... Uh, hoping we can fix a few of the critical things. Like I do think that display bug is something we should fix before we ask other people to use it. Um, and then 
clarifying a few of the questions we have around how we transition in and out of the different work restrictions. And then we can, then we can make it available for kind of anyone to use. Yeah. That's so exciting. Um, I see next week we're bringing on a guest. Do you want to give a little heads up as to what we're going to chat about? Next week, we're going to chat with Chris Foster, our CTO, Chief Technology Officer um, at Two Story Robot. And follow up to the uh, one of the episodes prior where we talked about going to chat with him about machine learning and can we do all this cool interpolation of weather data. Um, I think it'll be good to sort of have him come in to sort of summarize some of these thoughts and, and uh, think out loud a little bit more with us. So looking forward to that next week. Yeah, that'll be exciting. So you've been listening to the Path and Focus podcast. Find us, review us, share us with some friends. And thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.